The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 11. 1 Kings, chapter 11. King Solomon, as the Scripture tells us, wrote many, many Proverbs. Some of them we have in the Scriptures, the book of Proverbs. Interesting, this proverb comes to us from Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. I think you'll see tonight as we look at Solomon's heart turning away from the Lord... Almost hard to believe that he was the one that wrote these words. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. We're in this place in 1 Kings where we've seen in recent chapters kind of the, the establishing of Solomon after David's passing, the kingdom coming to his son Solomon. We saw him coming into the kingdom as a young man and a heart open to the Lord praying to the Lord, asking the Lord that he would give, give wisdom to guide and shepherd God's people. And it pleased the Lord that Solomon did not ask for selfish things, but rather for wisdom to look after God's people. And of course, God gave him wisdom. The Bible says his wisdom was like none other before or since, a divine work and grace of wisdom in his life. But because he asked for wisdom, God said, I will also bless you with the things that you did not ask. And we've seen in these chapters we've been looking at on Wednesday nights, not only his wisdom, but his great wealth, the accomplishments of his rule and building the temple, dedicating the temple, uh, his fame really going throughout the known world. We, we re- recently looked at the Queen of Sheba coming up just to behold this glory of the kingdom and the wisdom of Solomon and great, great wealth, uh, silver like rocks, the scripture says, gold covering everything, just so common, the wealth that God allowed to pour into Solomon during his reign. But as we've looked at these passages, we've also seen little, little hints of compromise in Solomon's life, little areas where we notice Solomon maybe letting his guard down. We, we know that... Um, in, and you don't need to turn back, you're there in first chapter 11, but in, up in chapter 3, it said that Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Well, of course, Egypt was a pagan culture, and Solomon, in a tr- seemingly some type of a treaty or you know, kind of peace accord, married Pharaoh's daughter, irrespective of her being a believer in Yahweh, the true God. And we know that the Scripture gave warning not to marry outside the faith, not to marry the foreign wives, not because of their ethnicity, but rather their their spiritual incompatibility. He did not want the faith of Israel being diluted by these foreign pagan worship practices kind of coming into the nation via marriage. But here we see Solomon in his wisdom in making treaty with Egypt, he marries Pharaoh's daughter. We see also that in his wealth, 
Uh, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And we read that and we say, wow, what a kingdom, what a king. But we, we need to remember some of the Lord's warning back in Deuteronomy chapter 17 that, he sh- that concerning the kings of Israel, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. And we, he said that, you should know, that neither should he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So we've seen Solomon kind of compromising these instructions, clear instructions from God's word to protect the king and the kingdom. Don't put your trust in horses and your own strength of of war. Keep your reliance on God. Don't multiply silver and gold lest you become materialistic and get distracted. Don't multiply wives, even though that was, that was uh, normal in the culture of the day. <clears throat> Kings married many wives. They had harems. And, but God said, not in Israel. You guys don't do that because it'll turn your heart away from following after me. So we see Solomon beginning to compromise, and we'll see that even more so in chapter 11. But we see God also ministering to Solomon during this time. God is patient. God is gracious. As if God is warning, but also wanting to rescue and encourage Solomon in his rule and reign. We saw when um, Solomon first was kind of coming into the, the reign and praying that God appeared to him. Be interesting to have the Lord appear to you. That would be quite a memorable experience. And the Lord appeared to him and said, "If you'll in in First Kings three fourteen, if you'll walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days." And so on. You will have someone from your lineage to sit on the throne forever. He appeared to Solomon a second time, just after the dedicating of the temple. Solomon gave that dedication prayer, this beautiful prayer. God said, I've heard your prayer, and then also repeated the promise and the warning. If, key word, if you will walk in my ways and obey my commandments, then I will establish you and your kingdom. So that's kind of the the setting. As we come into chapter 11, we see now verses, look at with me now, at least the first few verses here, verses 1 through 8. We, saw, we see Solomon's heart turns away. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods." Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses. Imagine, not only were they wives, they were princesses. (laughs) And 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Hard to believe the wisest man on the earth would go down this road, isn't it? Verse 4, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, 
and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. These were abominations. These were uh, just really offensive to God. Verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built high places for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So we see the warning of Scripture that Solomon does not heed. Solomon possibly in his younger years imagined he could handle it. After all, his father David had more than one wife. He had concubines. He continued his heart with the Lord, Solomon thinking perhaps he could manage this. But we see something going on in his life. Now, God had warned this again. Not, it's not the inter, intermarrying. It's the spiritual compromising that comes with being unequally yoked. The New Testament speaks to us not only about multiple wives. God's plan is for one man and one wife but also that we would marry, if you're a believer, that you would marry another believer, to not be unequally yoked, to not marry a non-Christian because it will cause a compromise or some type of uh, frustration in your life spiritually. God warning the kings of Israel, but Solomon ignoring that, many wives. It seems to me that Solomon was really overwhelmed by his own flesh. I mean, 700 wives. I mean, somewhere around, maybe around four or five hundred, it would be like, this is enough. He, he reigned, the Bible was going to tell us. <laughs> Being a little sarcastic. You, you know, it tells, think about this. It says he reigned for 40 years. So in 40 years, he married 700 wives. I mean, that's, that's a wedding, what, every other week. You're, his whole life was, I don't know if they did mass weddings. I don't know how it went down. But Solomon's life is being consumed with this relationship with women. And it seems to be something of a sexual lust. And his flesh is simply unsatisfied. And he continues to marry. And that that culture, the kings would have, you know, the, the fairest of the land. They could marry them. And it seems that Solomon is giving place to a, an appetite of his flesh, a sensual desire. It says he loved them. He clung to them. He just became enamored with this. And as it is often, always, almost always the case with the flesh, the flesh is never really satisfied. As you give place to things of the flesh, as you give in to those things of the flesh, it's not like the flesh is appeased and content. The flesh longs and desires for more. And there is this entangling and this bondage. And Solomon seems to end up really, and like, you know, it's when, when is enough enough? It just was never enough. Maybe it was pride alongside the, the lust it was pride because, as I mentioned in that day, having a large harem, it spoke of prestige and status as a king among the nations. And so Solomon is imagining him, himself to be something uh, 
honorable amongst the nations of the world, but he's forgetting the instructions of the Lord. Never good to give place to your own appetites, never good to give place to the pride and, and the aspirations of the world and when it costs you and co- compromise and disobedience. And it says there in verse 4, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. We'll see this several places in this chapter, that Solomon is compared to his father David. Now we know that David was not a perfect man or a perfect king. We know that David himself, in, some, in one way, was something of a bad example for Solomon. He too had multiple wives and concubines, concubines nothing like 700 and then 300 concubines. But still, he was engaged in this practice. The difference, though, is that although David did fall into sin as a result of his sexual lust, that's the same area that tripped him up with Bathsheba, but David repented of that sin. David gave his, kept his heart loyal to the Lord. David's heart remained loyal to God. He repented and received forgiveness And he never, ever worshipped other gods. In all of David's shortcomings, he always loved God, worshipped God, and came came back to God. He loved the Lord. We read the Psalms. We read just the expressions of worship. David loved the Lord and none other. And so this is the difference between himself and Solomon. David, not a perfect man, but a man whose heart was loyal. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. This pagan worship, I mean, there was immoral worship practices, sexual rites. Molech, that's the, the God where child sacrifices were made. I mean, Solomon got entangled in some abominable things, things that really grieved the Lord. It says of his heart that it turned away. His heart turned away. When he was old, over time, it wasn't one morning he woke up and just said, I'm done with the Lord. No, it was this gradual turning away. And later in his life, as he continued to accumulate wealth and wives and status, and he became distracted, his heart turned away and turned after the other gods. It says that his heart was not loyal to God. It says that he did not fully follow the Lord. He continued his worship of God, but he also compromised in worshiping other gods. I'm thinking of Joshua and Caleb. Maybe you remember the testimony about them, that their hearts wholly followed the Lord. There's a heart that loves God. There's a heart that wholly follows and loves God, right? There's a difference, a difference in commitment, a difference in in exclusivity. Yeah, I love the Lord, but I have other things, other idols in my life, other passions that compete and are on par, or maybe even in some cases rise above my devotion and love for the Lord. This is a problem. The Bible says that we are to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, with everything that is within us. Jesus spoke of, uh, of loving anyone more than the Lord. Is, you're not worthy to be his disciple. Even, even natural relationships, your wife, your children. Luke put it, it, records Jesus' words this way, unless a man hates his wife, brother, children, 
he's, then he's not worthy to, be, of course, not wanting us to hate, but wanting to show the contrast that our loyalty, the first passion of our heart, must be the Lord. He must be first. All other relationships find their blessed place when he is first. The best way to love one another, the best way to love your wife, your children, your, your family, is to love God first. That sets your heart right, and then you're able to love even in a better way than you would if you were to place something above God. When God, man was created to have God at the center... Listen to one commentator. Solomon did not abandon Yahweh, but he worshipped other gods as well. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. He compromised his affections. Apparently, he concluded that since he was a great king, he should live like the other great kings of the world, even though it meant disobeying God's word. We remember Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus would tell us you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve and love and, and, and worship God and something else. Jesus said in, you can't serve God and mammon, mammon meaning, meaning riches, wealth, materialism. You can't love God but also love materialism and wealth, the things of the world. You can put anything in there that would compete with your love and passion for the Lord. In Solomon's case, there seemed to be just this sexual lust. You can't serve God and also have sexual lust as an idol in your life, pornography, these things that that entice the flesh. You can't set those up as idols and worship God. You're going to love one and hate the other, Jesus said. Something's going to be compromised. You're not going to be able to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, if you have these other masters in your life, other things that you have set up in your heart. You must repent. You must receive forgiveness. You must love the Lord. Don't imagine that you can handle it. Solomon must have, like I said, it says when he got old, it didn't happen in a moment, but in his pride and in his wisdom, something went awry. And he must have made some small rationalizations along the way. Well, I'm a great king. This is a great nation. I should have many wives. All the great nations do. And after all, I'm the wisest of them all, and I can manage. You can just see the the small and subtle rationalizations that came with to Solomon and ended up turning his heart away. Well, look on. Back with our text. Pick it up with me. Now, really, the balance of the chapter, 9 through 40, speaks of the Lord's discipline. And we'll, we'll look at it uh, as we go. Ver- first of all, verses 9 through 13, the discipline of the Lord now comes to, to Solomon because his heart's turned away and the announcement of a divided kingdom. Verse 9, so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, 
I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. The Lord now sends word to Solomon, whether the Lord appeared and spoke to Solomon directly, whether he sent a prophet to voice this truth, that the word comes to Solomon, he's angry with, with Solomon, and he said, because you have done this, even though I warned you, even though I spoke to you, even though I appeared to you twice, I did all that I could to protect you from this, but your heart was determined. You set your way, and now... For this reason, I'm going to be tearing the kingdom away from you. It reminds us a little bit of Saul, doesn't it? Remember Saul, when, when Samuel came and said, you know what, because you've rejected the Lord, the Lord has now rejected you. He's going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to another, a man after his own heart. And the kingdom came to David. And so here's Solomon in this great wealth, in this great splendor, but his heart's turned away from the Lord. And now God is taking the kingdom away. But even in his taking, even in the discipline, God is still wanting to honor the faithfulness of David. It says to Solomon, I'm going to take it away, but not during your day, for the sake of David, not yours. And I won't take it completely away like I did with Saul, but because of David, I'm going to keep some of it intact for your lineage. A divided kingdom. For the sake of David, one tribe will be given, and the others will go to your servant. We're going to summarize some of these verses that come next. I won't take the time to read all of it, but let me just give you a little more insight into the discipline, the way the Lord began to discipline Solomon and the nation. Verses 40 through 20, God begins to raise up adversaries against Solomon. The adversaries in verses 14 through 20, it's an, it's an outer adversary, Haddad, the Edomite. This would have been someone from the south. And Haddad had hid in Egypt, but after David passed away, he came back and began to trouble Israel from the south. And God allowed this. God stirred this up. God raised up these adversaries to trouble Solomon. And of course, this discipline is to try and get Solomon's heart turning back to God, trying to see, get Solomon to awaken and recognize that he needs to return to the Lord. He sends this discipline, and that's those verses. We can skip down to verses 23 through 25, and and God raised up another adversary against him, a a man by the name of Rizon, and he would come from Damascus. That would be the north. So from both the south and the north, God begins to stir up adversaries. This peace that the nation had known, this, this great uh, kingdom that David, through his battles, had established peace and prosperity, now trouble begins at both north and south. And God allowing this as a discipline against Solomon's heart that's turning away. But not only from the outside, we see in this part we will read, pick it up with me in verse 26, we see God raising up an adversary from within, a man by the name of Jeroboam. This is the servant that God is going to give the balance of the kingdom to. Verse 26, then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite, so he's from the tribe of Ephraim, from Zerida, whose mother's name was Zura, a widow, also rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. 
Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of Sidonians, Shemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, And have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I have chosen because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, Ten tribes, and to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So we see how this inner division begins to take place. It's actually a judgment, a discipline from the Lord. God is the one that is now dividing the kingdom. Because of Solomon's falling away and Solomon's rebellion and worshiping of other gods, he's going to take ten of the tribes and he sends this prophet to Jeroboam to let him know that this is what I'm planning to do. I'm going to raise you up and make you king over to the ten tribes. He was a competent man, a man of valor. He had already been raised up by Solomon. He was already someone prominent in the kingdom. And this prophetic word comes. But he says, I will not take it out of Solomon's hand, but out of his son. We'll we'll meet him in a moment, Rehoboam. But David, uh, who was of the tribe of Judah, I will give him one tribe. That tribe would be Benjamin. So 10 would go to the north. That would be the northern kingdom known as Israel, as we look forward in in our study in 1 and 2 Kings. And two of the tribes would stick together in the south, Judah and Benjamin. And that's where Jerusalem was. And so we see that God is ordaining this, but God says this to Jeroboam Jeroboam, that I will be the one that gives this to you. But we read that Jeroboam began to rebel against Solomon. So already Jeroboam, it's as if he can't handle the news. God's going to make me the king. I'm going, to get, I'm going to help him out. I'm going to get started by causing trouble against Solomon. That's not what God said. God said, I will do this. But this divided kingdom, we see, 
that Jeroboam, even himself, begins to get ahead of the Lord. Look at verse 37. Look at the promise that he makes the Lord to Jeroboam. So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if, big word there, little word, big meaning, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, listen to this, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. What a promise. What an opportunity. Verse 39, and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. An amazing promise of prophecy to this Jeroboam. Jeroboam, this is what I'm going to do in a discipline and judgment against Solomon and his turning turning away of his heart. I'm going to take these ten tribes, and I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to make you a king as great as David. You are going to have a lineage and a a legacy in my nation if you will walk in sincerity of heart and obedience of heart as David did, if you'll love me, if you'll obey my commandments. Not perfection, but a proper heart and attitude toward the Lord. But we see already Jeroboam begins to rebel. Jeroboam tries to help things along in his own cause. God said, I will do this. I won't do it with Solomon. I'll do it with his son. Well, Jeroboam starts to rebel. Solomon finds out about the prophecy, no doubt, finds out about this rebel and seeks to kill him. And this, this tells us something about Solomon's heart as well. Solomon hears this news. You would think at this time, Solomon, this would be the wisest man on the earth. This would be your opportunity to wise up and repent and get your heart right. These things are happening because you've turned your heart against the Lord. God came and said, I'm going to do this. And now Solomon starts to try to resist it. He finds out who this Jeroboam is and he tries to kill him. God has said, I'm going to send a discipline because you've turned your heart away. Oh, well, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to try and kill this guy before it takes place. What's going on in Solomon's mind? You see how far his heart has fallen. You'd think that like David, when Nathan the prophet came and said, David, you're the man. You're the one that's sinned against Uriah and taken his wife. David said, I've sinned against the Lord. And he repented and he, and he got his life heart right with God. David also fell. And when the, when the prophet came and gave warning, David turned his heart to God. Solomon instead seems to even harden and even begin to try and resist the word of prophecy against him and against the nation. Verse 41, now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did, and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. 
Most believe this was about 971 to 931 B.C. Solomon reigned for those 40 years. I read again, Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. This is a very, I think we would call it a cautionary tale, isn't it? If this could happen to a Solomon, if this kind of a turning from the Lord, after all the blessing, after all that he had, which he knew was of the grace of God, the wisdom of God, the abundance of God, and yet in the blessings of God, he allowed his heart to become distracted and he turned his heart away. He didn't follow his own advice. He didn't keep his heart with all diligence. And in in truth, out of it do spring the issues of life. Just a few thoughts here about keeping your heart, and we'll close tonight. It seems that we, as we read this passage, that the word that that comes is this turning. It seems that a man has the capacity to turn his heart. We do have a certain responsibility to, to turn our hearts. We either turn our hearts to the Lord or we turn our hearts away from the Lord towards other things. These issues of the heart, you and I must keep guard of that. We must determine where our hearts are turned. What is your face set on? What are you pursuing? What are you allowing to become the, the passion of your life, the pursuit of your life? Is it the Lord? Is it his purpose? Is it his kingdom? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or have you allowed your heart to turn away from him and pursuing other things? This is what happened with Solomon. And in the same way that you can turn your heart away from the Lord, thank God, by the grace of God, you can turn your heart to the Lord. And that's what I would encourage you here tonight. You know, in the very beginning of your relationship with God, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit begins to draw you, and you begin to turn your heart to the Lord. The Bible says, Jesus said, go out into all the world and preach this gospel that people would repent and be made disciples. That word repent means to turn. If you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God, and you don't, you don't know this close relationship with him. God, has, God loves you, and it may be the Spirit of God even turning your heart tonight. Turn away from the way you're going and turn your heart to the Lord. Receive the mercy, the love, the forgiveness that he has for you. Turning your heart. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to turn your heart back to the Lord. The book of Revelation talks about coming back to your first love, right? Turn back to your first love. Even as believers, I think our hearts can become distracted. Jesus talked about that seed that went on the soil with the thorns, and, and the seed grew up, but it was choked, its fruitfulness was choked out because of the thorns, the weeds that were mingled in with the, the Word of God. And Jesus, interpreting that parable, said That's, those are the cares of life, the, the, the pursuit and love of other things that chokes out the fruitfulness, what God ultimately intends and desires to produce spiritually in your life. And maybe you need to turn your heart back to the Lord and pursue Him and repent and and get your heart right. God loves you. God will forgive. God will cleanse. God will restore. 
And this is, this is something that only you can do. God will not force your, heart, your hand or heart. You have to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Turning your heart to the Lord, turning your heart back to the Lord. Something else that I think is in, included in this idea of keeping your heart with all diligence is a, a guarding of your heart. The scripture talks about that, being, being vigilant, setting up guard. Somewhere in Solomon's life, he began to let his guard down. He started so well. He started so tender before the Lord, humble. But somewhere in his walk and his journey, he let his guard down. And he thought he could handle and manage a little compromise and a few wives and then a few more wives. And then, well, let's go for 700. It's a good round number, right? It's just hard to get past that, isn't it? I mean, my goodness. But you see how the a little bit becomes, and, and he didn't guard his heart. You've got to guard your heart against sin, against compromise, those things of the flesh that entice and draw away. Oh, I can, I can manage. I can mingle. I can, I can you know, kind of be a, a lukewarm. And of course, that's, that's not good before the Lord. The Lord wants all your heart. You must guard it. And I think part of keeping your heart is also sowing to the Spirit. It's not just about turning to the Lord. It's not just about trying to guard. It's also about trying to sow things into your heart, sowing to the Spirit. The Bible says if you'll sow to the Spirit, you will reap a harvest from the Spirit. There are things you and I can do to keep our hearts sowing to the Spirit. We're here tonight. We're studying the Bible. I think this is a good keeping of your heart. You know, that kind of midweek word, I just need that, working through my week to be in worship, to be with God's people, to, to hear the Word of God again, to allow the Holy Spirit to sow something into my life. That means His Word. This is how we sow to the Spirit. We keep His Word alive in our heart. We study the Word. We read the Word. We, we listen to the teaching of His Word. Of course, prayer, and a, a prayer life, a worship life. You know, worshiping the Lord. The one thing you read about David, he was such a worshiper. And I just think that that was one of the secrets, one of the keys to his heart, just keeping it fresh before the Lord. Now, you had to know there were times when he didn't really feel like it, but it says in many of his psalms, I set my heart to praise the Lord. I set my face to worship him. I will praise the Lord. I will give thanks to him. There's this kind of determining of the heart. I'm going to worship him because he's worthy and he, he is faithful and he is good. And in that worship, there is this sowing to the Spirit. There is this keeping of your heart, the fellowship that we have from one another. And, and boy, choosing that fellowship wisely. Solomon began to mingle with foreign wives those that had no heart or passion for God, and he got entangled. It says that his heart loved them. He became so enamored with that romance, that relationship, all that came with being the king and its privileges, and he loved that more than he loved God. And so the fellowship that we choose, I want to be around people that are going to encourage me to love the Lord that are going to sharpen me, hold me accountable, pray with me, encourage me, and that I can be that in their life. And you know who those people are in your life. 
And you know who the other people are in your life too. Be careful. Oh, I can, I can run with this crew for a little while. That's what Solomon imagined. I could handle a few wives. <laughs> yeah, a few went a long way past what he thought. And isn't that, haven't, listen, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know this is true. You've already tasted that. You've already found yourself trying to run with a crowd that you think, you well, I'll witness to them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you'll witness to them. If you're going to witness to them, you better take somebody with you because that, that, that can keep you accountable as you both witness. Jesus sent them out two by two. Okay, so be careful. And we have such a capacity to rationalize and justify these things. Be careful. You've got to keep your heart. You've got to, you've got to sow these things. So your fellowship. And then I would say finally just, you know, your service. Allowing the Lord to use your life in ministry. There's something about that that refreshes the heart. When, when you're engaged in, in serving the Lord... In, in any way, any capacity, you have a sense of ministry, a sense of responsibility that the Lord has entrusted you with. That helps keep your heart. That provides a certain motivation, a certain boundary, a certain accountability, a certain responsibility. You know, Paul said it this way, you know, having, uh, having, I, I put my body under and I keep it under, lest having preached to others... I myself become a castaway. There was, there was a sense of accountability. Paul, you know, I've preached this gospel to so many. I can't now just compromise because of all the others that I've encouraged to go on with the Lord. Oh, I've got to go on with the Lord, right? There's some synergy there for us as we serve the Lord. It provides that sense of purpose and, and accountability, and it, it, I think it helps keep your heart. Somewhere in Solomon's journey, he got off course. We can see it. We can, you can imagine. And, and what, a, what a tragedy. Boy, I'd hate to have that be my testimony. Solomon has, a, has some wonderful things that the Lord used his life for, and we have the record of that. But boy, I'd hate to have some of this. I'd hate to have this chapter written over my life. How about you? And the Lord was displeased. And he sinned against the Lord. And he turned his heart away from the Lord when he got older. I want to finish my course. I want to, I want to, I want to make it to the end. Lord, protect my heart. Help me to guard and to keep and to always have my compass turned to you. If you get off, if you turn away, oh, like David, turn back to the Lord. Solomon turned his heart and from what we can see, we don't know that he ever turned it back. Now, maybe he did. Maybe in the, in the, in the end of his life, there was some, some repentance. There was some coming to himself. Maybe the book of Ecclesiastes, some think that that was written at the end of his life and describes kind of the man returning to the Lord. We don't know. We're not sure. But I want to keep my heart. I want you to keep your heart because I want to make it to the end and the finish line for the Lord. And I'm not just talking, you know, about salvation. I don't want to just, you know, be saved. I want to be saved with a sense of having run my race and finished, finished the course. Like the Apostle Paul said at the end of his journey, I finished the race. I kept the faith. I fought the good fight. And that comes with keeping our heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Solomon here tonight. There is much there, Lord, that 
that I think speaks to us in, well, to be honest, just in way of warning. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.